All right. Well, welcome to Cordero Baptist Church, our Sunday school hour. And so we're going to go ahead and dismiss uh, a couple of classes, starting with the first, second, and third graders. All the first, second, and third graders, you can go to your class at this time. All the first, second, and third graders. And then the fifth, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. You can head to the back back there. All the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And then, of course, due to COVID and we have to spread everything out, we will have our teen class during the 11 o'clock hour. So the rest of you will stay in here. Josh. All right. Well, it's good to have each one of you here this morning. Thank you for being here. And if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. Philippians and the fourth chapter. Next week, I'm... um, going to be beginning a new series. I know we just finished up a series uh, a few weeks ago in the book of Daniel and going to be looking to start another series for the next uh, three or four months and uh, I think many of you will enjoy the topic. Uh, We sing the song When We All Get to Heaven and the series that we're going to start next week, Lord willing, is uh, specifically we're going to look at and study the things that we are going to see in heaven. All right? Uh, So look forward to that. But here this morning, we are going to be in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number 4. And let's begin reading, or I'll read. You can follow along. In verse number 1, the Bible says this, Therefore, my my brethren... Dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. For Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus, or through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Well, last week, if you were here in our adult Sunday school class, uh, you'll remember that we looked at the the topic or the, the title of the lesson was looking at the importance of church unity. And we looked at uh, the causes of unity, what causes it, some of the characteristics of unity and uh, the importance of church unity. And uh, this, uh, Our lesson uh, here this morning, you saw, is maintaining church unity. So along the same, the same line of um, 
same, same thinking. But there are many ingredients for church unity. We know, uh, even from last week, as we looked at some of the scriptures, unity is very pleasing to the Lord. Uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm 133, verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And so church unity is very pleasing to God. We should want to please God. Unity also must be centered on the word of God. Over in Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse Number three, uh, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. He wrote endeavoring, so striving, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And unity, when we look at it, it has many uh, vital elements that make it up. And they're talked about in Acts chapter number two. Acts chapter number two and verse 42. I'll read this to you. This is uh, of course, speaking about the church, one of the early churches there uh, in Jerusalem. And uh, the Bible says this in verse 42, and they, and they, or the church in Jerusalem, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so... <laughs> some of the, the the vital elements of church unity and this church in Jerusalem is um, here is a good example of a church that demonstrated unity. Uh, they were uh, we it's called out in this passage in the book of Acts chapter two, where they were surrounded by uh, the apostles' doctrine, uh, God's word, and fellowship. We read about how they they had fellowship and prayer and really this mutual care where they were looking out for one another. Well, this morning, our lesson, though I, I want to talk about our lesson, our message is maintaining church unity, particularly in the face of disagreement or dissent. And if you were here uh, during our Wednesday evening Bible study, uh, Pastor mentioned uh, many things along this same line. And uh, some of the challenges I, I believe Pastor House was talking about were faced with um, here in this year. And next Sunday is I Love My Church Sunday, and we have this Glencoe project where the church has some property, and we're looking to build a church building on there. And uh, on Wednesday night, Pastor was speaking uh, about uh, how a building program for any church really can be a time where uh, churches face some challenges, especially in the area of unity. And if we are to maintain, knowing that church unity is pleasing to God, if we are to maintain church unity, then um, we need to be aware of some of the challenges. And so we're going to look at that uh, here this morning. Now, we're in the book of Philippians, Philippians uh, chapter number four, and the church here in Philippi that Paul is writing to, he's writing this letter to, 
It's uh, one of those model churches. Last week we looked at the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth also was a model church, but a, a model of maybe what not to do. And I would say the church in Philippi is a good example in many respects. And we can hold them up as an example. They were a very mission-minded church, as any uh, good Bible-believing church should be. Missions-minded, they were a great supporter of Paul. If you look in verse, uh, we're in chapter number 4, uh, maybe look over to verse 15 of chapter number 4. We can see <coughs> the church here in Philippi was very mission-minded. Um, Paul writes here at the end of this letter, he says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. And he goes on, For even, the Thessal even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. And so what a testimony. What a testimony of this church in Philippi that Paul is writing to them saying, you know, no churches sent money or, or to, to take care of. We know Paul was an evangelist, a missionary, and it was here this church in Philippi sent many times, multiple times for his need, whether it was money or food or, or whatever. But <clears throat> they definitely were very giving and um, giving, uh, even though they were they didn't have the abundance that the church in Corinth had. These were Christians that were in poverty, yet somehow God allowed them to give. And we know they were also very hands-on. They weren't a church that just said, well, I'm just going to come to church, sing some songs, listen to some preaching, and then go, go back to my life. No, they were fellow laborers. Verse number 3, Paul, uh, we read this. Paul talks about um, how many in this church labored with him in the gospel. And so they didn't sit on their hands. They were uh, very involved. <clears throat> Yet, as we read here, as, uh, as great as this church was in terms of a model church, yet we read here in our text, the church had problems. And in particular, there were uh, there were two women mentioned specifically here in verse number two, Eodius and Syntyche, two women. And, um, you know, it's Satan has many devices. We mentioned the church in Jerusalem. What happened there shortly after that church uh, got together? We taught, we read some scriptures there in Acts chapter number two, the unity, the that that church had they had fellowship they were praying together they cared for one another but yet we see satan has his devices and even the church in jerusalem what did he do he sent some persecution to the church it caused members to scatter um satan attacks and he seeks satan attacks and he seeks to derail he seeks to uh, distract he seeks to destroy God's churches. He, and if you don't believe that this morning, if you don't believe that Satan wants to destroy this church, then you err. And he, that is his goal. He wants to derail what this church is doing. He wants to distract you and I from the mission at hand. 
And he does this. Um, it can be done by external attacks. Uh, Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem had external persecution. Look uh, back in chapter number one of Philippians. He did this to the church here in Philippi. Satan attacked. He has many devices. He attacked this church in verse uh, number 28. <clears throat> Paul mentions this, their adversaries. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Verse 29. For unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And Paul made it clear. He's like, I understand you're being attacked. And, you know, here in America, in this country, we really haven't, as a church, at churches, I'm talking each, our church here, other uh, churches in the country, we really haven't been under attack. Now, are we going to be under attack? Perhaps. But understand that that's the god of this world is behind that satan all right so there can be external attacks but there can also be internal strife in philippians chapter number two now flip over to chapter number two <clears throat> verse number two paul writes fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded having the same love being of one accord and of one mind let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And, you know, the Bible declares it to us over in Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus said, offenses will come. They will come. Offenses will come. And any time you have two or more people, they're likely to happen. Even the apostles, if you think of the apostles, they squabbled in the presence of the Lord. They, they had internal strife. And so the issue is not how do we avoid problems in the church, right? That's not the issue. That's not the question this morning. How do we as a church avoid problems altogether? Wouldn't that be nice if there was a simple answer to that? The truth of the matter is, is anytime you have two or more people together, there's going to be uh, the potential for strife. It's not how do we avoid problems. More importantly, it's how do we go about uh, dealing with problems because they're going to come. Offenses will come, Jesus said. <clears throat> You know, for offenses or for wrongs, if you've ever been offended, if you've ever been wronged by someone, the Bible has a clear plan for how to deal with that. It's found in Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 15. It talks about if uh, thy brother shall trespass against thee, the Bible uh, says very plainly, go to that brother and and tell him his faults between you and him. And there's steps. If he doesn't hear you, then you, uh, you can read that on your own. Matthew chapter 18. The Bible talks about that. But quite simply, the, the God's plan for offenses, because they're going to happen, it's, um, it's face it. You know, face it. Go to your brother. Forgive and forget. The three F's. 
face, forgive, and forget. That is God's plan for offenses. They're going to happen. But what about issues that really aren't offenses, right? You understand what I mean? I mean, there are times when people will wrong us. They will wrong you. And the Bible tells us how to deal with those problems. But what about issues that aren't really offenses at all? Maybe it's differences of opinion. Maybe it's an oversight. You know, that, that happens. In the church, it happens. Um, humans, uh, we as humans, and we, uh, oh, you know, we neglect or, or it's just an oversight. Not really a wrong or an offense. It's just uh, um, not intentional. There can be personality clashes. What about issues like these? Well, getting back to our text here in chapter number four, our text gives wonderful guidance in these areas. The fact is, it's basically a question of our focus and our attitude. <clears throat> what I mean by focus is what you think about. What is your focus? What do you think about? And attitude is how you think about it. And so the, the main, there's two points this morning. Number one is the battleground for all of this is the mind. Your focus and your attitude. What you think about, how you think about it. Notice the phrase in verse number two. The phrase, be of the same mind, Paul says. We've got these two ladies in the church. Paul says, be of the same mind. This is the key word in the book of Philippians. Over in Philippians chapter number two and, and three, we just read that, how it was it, we already read that. It, it talks about being like-minded, Paul says. Be of the same mind. Be like-minded. In chapter 2 and verse number 5, Paul goes on. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is also the key to the Christian life. The, the key to the Christian life is it, it's a battle of the mind. Uh, Proverbs, some scripture uh, here. As we live the Christian life, how do you live the Christian life? Well, it's a, it's a mind battle. That is the battleground. Over in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 7, the, Solomon writes, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 instructs us to keep our heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it are the issues of life. How you think determines how you act. And then over in Romans chapter number 7, Paul describes it this way. Paul was a very good writer. Clearly, he wrote much of the New Testament. But he writes it this way. Paul describes this, uh, this struggle that we all have. And in Romans chapter number 7 and verse 23, it says, But I see another law of my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, 
So then with the mind, I myself serve the law or uh, serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, what is Paul talking about? Well, I mean, the Christian, if you know the Lord as your savior, we have two natures. And how do we and it's all about yielding. Who do you yield to? Do you yield to the Holy Spirit or do you yield to the flesh? And the battleground is in the mind for the Christian. We have a choice to make. And that's what Paul says. How does he choose or how does he serve the law of God? Well, in verse 25, he says it's with the mind. And so this is the key to the Christian life. But it's also the key to church unity. The way you think determines the way you act. Hence, getting back to our text in, in uh, Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 8, the way you think determines the way you act. And that's why Paul wrote in verse number 8 of Philippians chapter 4, he told us what to think on. He says, finally, brethren, Christians, he's writing to a church, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, things that have virtue, and if there be any praise, notice the end of verse number eight, think on those things. The battleground is in the mind. You know, the word translated to mind is, is uh, very interesting. It's a Greek word. And it means more than just to think. You know, we, we, uh, we tell our kids, use your brain. You know, use your mind. God gave you a, a brain and he gave you a mind. Well, what are we telling our kids when we say that? Think. <laughs> but actually, the word, the Greek word for mind means so much more than just to think. It means to exercise the mind, to make a definite determination, to form an opinion or conclusion. So it's more than just thinking. It's to form a decision, a conclusion. It is a very, the, the word mind here translated from the Greek, and we read it in the English, it is a very proactive word. It's not, this is what I think, and, you know, we, um, it, it's not a reactionary type of word, or uh, blindly, or based on feelings. That's, oftentimes, that's how uh, we use, you know, well, this is what I think, or this is my opinion, or my feeling on the matter. That's not, it's, it's much more, it's a little, it's deeper than that. It, it's, this is what I'm going to think. You understand? Regardless of feelings. Feelings change. They can be manipulated by outside uh, things. But when the scriptures here talk about, in verse number 8, you need to think on things that are true, lovely, pure, and so forth. Paul isn't saying, you know, these are these are good things to to um, be, you know just to imagine. No, he's like you have to exercise or purpose 
to think on these things. That's how, that's what is being said here in this verse. This is why verse number two, this verse is both, as Paul is writing to these two ladies, or writing to the church, he's beseeching them that they be of the same mind. Uh, it is both an exhortation, I beseech, but it is also an expectation of these two women. He's like, I expect these two women, as they're believers, they're Christians, I expect them to be of the same mind. Not, I hope that they feel like they can come to an agreement. No, it's, it's not how it's, it, it is uh, written here. Over in Philippians 2, verse 5, back to the second chapter, in verse number 5, Paul wrote this. He said, but let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, the Lord, Jesus, had to make a determination to act in a sense contrary to his holy instincts. You know when Jesus was, was here on earth, he's, he, he was God in the flesh. And when you read, let this mind actually look in verse... Um, Look a little bit later on, chapter number 2, Paul says, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Okay? This is a proactive word. It's, it, this is what I'm going to think. Okay? But, you know, it goes on and says, Who? Jesus, being in the form of God, he was 100% God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but... Jesus made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. How could, how could God become man? Well, he had to, he had to determine <laughs> that he was going to be man. I mean, he didn't need to do that. He was 100% God, yet he determined to take on the form of a servant. So Jesus did. That's why when, when Paul writes, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Lord had to make a determination to go against his godly instincts and in order to be a servant. So the question is how do, uh, getting back to maintaining church unity, how do you maintain unity in the church? How do you maintain it? Do we just all hope that we all come and be of the same mind? No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul is saying here. How do you maintain unity in the Lord's churches? You determine to do so. Very simply, you have to determined to maintain unity it is a battle in the mind it is a battle in the mind but number two we are instructed also here in verse number two to focus on the lord 
So number one, maintaining church unity, you have to determine to do it. It's a battle in the mind. But number two, you need to have your focus on the Lord. Note the phrase in verse number two, as Paul is beseeching these two ladies, he says that they be of the same mind. Notice the ending of that, in the Lord. They determined to, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, this is not referring to, Paul is not saying, you know what, uh, they need to compromise. That's not what he's saying. So often we think of um, unity and what's talked about today, whether it's in politics or at work, you need to get along. What is it that they're really talking about? Well, we need compromise. We've got two sides, and they need to compromise and meet somewhere in the middle. This is not in the. This is not if these. This verse, Paul is not telling. Um, is is stating that uh, Eodius and Syntyche they need to compromise. That's not what he's saying. It's not referring to that. But it, what it is, is it's a joint agreement. It's get the focus off self, get it on Christ. You know, technically speaking, and I'm glad this isn't the case here, but technically speaking, a church could be full of people who get on each other's nerves. We all could get on each other's nerves, technically speaking, yet maintain unity and effectiveness because of a unified focus. You understand? I'm glad that's not the case, but it could be. We could all have wildly different personalities and annoy each other, but when we come together, if we have a unified focus, we can have unity. That is, I mean, it, if you've been in a good church or been in this church for a while you know that is the case when we have a unified focus there can be wonderful unity what is it that misdirects our focus what is it that that changes our takes our focus off of the lord well um back again back to chapter number two we can see that in verse number two paul mentions vain glory Vainglory and uh, verse number two, fulfill ye my joy that ye be of like mind, having the same love. Be oh, um, I think I've written the wrong verse down. Oh, verse three, uh, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Vain glory means uh, you know me wanting credit. When we when we have a focus on ourself or I want to get credit for that. That will misdirect our focus. Being self-centered or having self-centeredness. In um, verse number four, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Uh, so talking about um, being, he's, in, he's encouraging them to not be self-centered. Verse 21 of chapter number two, Paul says, for all seek their own not the things which are Jesus Christ. So these are things that can misdirect our focus or being more concerned about earthly things. Over in chapter number three, 
of Philippians, chapter 3 and verse number 19. It says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, whose mind, or who mind, earthly things. And so these are some things that can misdirect our focus. Take it off of the Lord and move it on to either ourself or uh, earthly things. There's so many things that we can uh, have cares for. What happens when our focus is misdirected? Well, quite simply, our service for Christ stinks. Now, where, what should our focus be? And um, go back, and uh, we're going to conclude with this. What should our focus be? We say our focus needs to be on the Lord. It's the battleground. It's in the mind. The focus is on the Lord. Get back to chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number 1 gives us four areas of focus. Four areas of focus. Now, bear in mind, Paul is writing a letter here to the church. There's four chapters in this letter. And he addresses this disagreement in chapter number four that was happening. But in chapter number one, he begins the letter of the uh, to this church in Philippi and gives them four areas that they should have a focus on. And the first is, we will call it the uh, fellowship in the gospel. Look in verse number five. He writes, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. This is, um, you know, we have wonderful fellowship with one another. So this fellowship um, is is twofold. One, it's it's vertical. We ought to have fellowship with God. And as a Christian, we can have fellowship with God. But it also, that's vertical. It also ought to be horizontal with one another. And that's what Paul is really getting at. We have a relationship with God the Father, but we have relationships with one another. And so our focus ought to be on the fellowship in the gospel. It needs to be about our relationship that we have with God. And it's important to maintain an open, good relationship with one another. But it also is about, our focus is about the furtherance of the gospel. We talked a little bit about this last week. But over in verse number 12 of chapter number 1, Paul mentions the furtherance of the gospel at the end of this. He says, But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Many things happened in Paul's life. Not all of them were good. But at the end of it, Paul could look back and say, you know what, that happened for a reason. Why? The gospel message, the saving message, the message of Jesus Christ got, got further. It reached people. This is talking about a love for others. There are so many today that need to hear the gospel. And as a church... One of our focuses, as we focus on the Lord, yes, we are to focus on our relationship with one another and God, but also we ought to focus on 
How do we get the message of Jesus Christ out to the world? That ought to be a focus. That's the focus or the furtherance of the gospel. But then the third area of focus that a church ought to have is defending the gospel or defense of the gospel in verse 17 of chapter number 1. He says, "For or but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. This is standing for the word of God. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And it always needs to, we all as a church, as members of Quarter Baptist Church, we ought to stand for the gospel. Stand for truth. And then we see, last of all, the faith of the gospel. Verse 25, Paul mentions this. These are all just taken right out of the chapter. He says, let, uh, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is so important. I mean, this is us outliv or outliving God's work in us. If God has saved you, he's changed you. And that's not meant to be kept inside. It's meant to be shared. And so that is the faith. We live by faith. And others ought to see that. Now notice back in the text... Get back to chapter number four. Maintaining church unity here. And he's writing this letter to this church in Philippi. And in verse number two, he says, I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind of the Lord. We ought to um, and, and I want you to see the apostle addresses each of these areas in this chapter. What we just looked at in chapter number one, he now addresses it here in chapter number four. Notice the fellowship of the gospel. Uh, we see this is, we, this is uh, the relationship, and we see this in verse number three at the very end. He says, whose names are written in the book of life. You know, this is that's a good reminder, I think. And he was reminding certainly these two ladies in this church of the fact that, hey, your names are written in the book of life. You have a relationship with God. You're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You are sisters in Christ. And you and I, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are, we, we are, um, we have a relation. This is speaking of this relationship, the fellowship in the gospel. And so it's, um, it's like a, these two ladies, it's like this, they were having a, a dispute apparently. And he's like, hey, you, you both are sisters in Christ. Your names are written in the book. And um, so he, he addresses that. He directs their focus on the fellowship of the gospel. 
also the furtherance of the gospel. He mentions Clement and the others who helped him in verse number 3. Verse number 3, other fellow laborers. And so this is uh, the furtherance of the gospel to others. He mentions defense or standing up uh, for the gospel in verse number 1. Uh, where he begins this chapter, and he says, So stand fast in the Lord, and uh, don't compromise truth. And then, in verses 4 through 6, he makes it clear that we ought, that they ought to uh, live out God's work uh, in them. And so um, he talks about rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What was the problem between Eodius and Syntyche? I don't know. We, we made, we don't, the Bible doesn't give us any specifics. This was a church. There, were, there was a disagreement apparently between these two paul beseeched them pleaded with them and you know we even though we may not know the specifics here's what we do know about these two they had lost their focus that's what we know i don't know what what the dis maybe there was a building program going on in philippi i don't know but it doesn't matter there's so these are these aren't, the, it could have been the smallest of disagreements, could have been one overlooked the other or, or, or whatever the case. But here's what I do know. They had lost their focus and they weren't thinking right. They weren't thinking right. Where's your focus with respect to this church? Where's your focus? Are your eyes on the gospel, the work of the Lord? Or is it focused on people? Or is it focused on problems? It's so easy for all of us to lose focus, to get it on something other than the Lord. Now, the Bible has an answer. The Bible has an answer. If you lose your focus, you have it on something else. The Bible answer <laughs> is to adjust your thinking. To adjust your thinking. If, you know, and God commands it. Um, if God commands it, it can be done. Kind of like forgiveness. There are times when we feel it is so hard to forgive. But you know what? God doesn't say, well, you should forgive if this X, Y, and Z. No, he says you ought to forgive. And if God commands it, it can be done. So the Bible answer here is if your focus isn't on the Lord, and it's on something else, what are you to do? Adjust it. Adjust your focus, and it can be done. We'll end with these three scriptures. Romans chapter 12 and verse 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Over in Romans chapter 15 and verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you, be not like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, 
that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the last scripture over in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. Paul again, he wrote all of this. He said, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. These are not suggestions. This is a command. Unity in the church. Maintaining unity. It's basically a question of focus and attitude. Focus. What do you think about? What's your focus? An attitude is, is how you think about it. And so it's a commandment. Anyway, I hope that this was an encouragement. I know many of these things are talked about as recently as Wednesday night, but a good reminder, I believe, for all of us. And like I said, um, next week we're going to begin a new series that I hope um, you'll be here for. All right, you're dismissed.